Hello, friends. Welcome back to another Brew Theology podcast. This is Ryan Miller. Today's episode, we get a chance to sit down and talk to pastor and author Kathy Escobar. She wrote the book Faith Shift a couple of years ago, and this is the kind of book when you read it, it speaks to the depth of your soul. Uh, this is not an academic book. This is uh, not for seminaries or even colleges. This is when theology actually gets dirty. It gets uh, into the air that you breathe, into the ground in which we walk on. This is called practical, functional theology. And this is the stuff that really matters. And so I, uh, I cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, Kathy also, she blogs. And so you can uh, check out her blog, Kathy Escobar. Just, all you got to do is Google Kathy Escobar. She's on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, she's totally worth following. So uh, thank you so much, Kathy, for uh, the time that you spent with us. This is going to be a two part uh, Brew Theology podcast. This is part one where Kathy talks about the book and talks about her story. And then part two, we actually break it down uh, where the people who gathered together talked about their story uh, with the, this paradigm that she speaks of in this faith shift. So if you like this episode or if you like any of our episodes, uh, we really do, we can't emphasize this enough. Please go to iTunes. Please give us a rating and review. And then share that on Twitter or Facebook with your friends. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes people think, oh, I don't want to go on iTunes and do that and write the rate and all that. Well, that's actually how you get more listeners. The more reviews you get, the more, you know, the more shares you get. So we would appreciate that. Also, we'd appreciate if you would just go to brewtheology.org and even share that website. If you believe in what we do, uh, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology. Also, Twitter, Brew underscore Theology. If you like certain episodes, uh, please share that with your friends as well. And if you want to start a local Brew Theology chapter like my friends up in New Jersey, I also got a message from somebody in Austin the other day. And, you know, I think that these kind of communities will continue to pop up. And if you have any interest whatsoever, we have leadership manuals, curriculum, and we can get on this thing called the Internet. And I can Zoom. It's, called, it's, it's, it's an application where I can look at you through the computer and you could be thousands of miles away. We can talk to each other. It's fantastic. It's called conference calling. And, hey, you know, thanks to technology for that. I, I would love for you guys uh, to k- kind of consider what this would look like to, to start a Brew Theology chapter in your community. And uh, if you have one or if you don't want one, but you still like what we do, you can always support us by donating. You can go to that donate button and you can be a monthly contributor or you can be a one-time contributor. You can go to the Patreon page and give as little as $1 a month and there are incentives. And so that's kind of fun. Like you give a few dollars and then we give you something back. Uh, We can even mail you stuff, uh, some cool Brew Theology swag in the mail. And thank you so much again for all of you who are still listening and who support us. I am uh, encouraged every week that I get to do this. Lastly, a shout out to three people. One is Dan Rosado. Dan Rosado spends time every week editing these messages, making sure that we don't sound too silly. And he kind of makes sure that all the little knocks and like this, Dan doesn't like this when I knock on the table. But when it happens, he edits it out. So thanks, Dan, for that. He is a huge part of our Denver Brew Theology community, one of the guys that helped me start it. So love you, Dan. Next, I want to thank Baird. Baird Ramsey, that's Janelle Apps Ramsey's husband, and uh, he uh, he's an incredible person. They have house church at their house up in Westminster Broomfield. Every Monday, they do podcasts. Uh, Baird is fully in support of Janelle's work. And with that said, my wife, Lauren, shout out to her. I could not do this without her. You know, I've got, right now I'm doing these intros and I've got a baby right here. 
she's chilling. Every now and then you can hear her cooing. So I watch the kids during the day and at night. Uh, Lauren is um, such a wonderful person that says, hey, go out, hang out with your pup people, do some podcasting, and, uh, you know, change the world. So thanks, Lauren. Thank you, Baird. And we will see you on the other side. Peace. Good evening and welcome to to Brew Theology Podcast. And tonight we're going to talk with Kathy Escobar, the author of Faith Shift. Kathy is with us tonight and she is the pastor at The Refuge in Broomfield, Colorado. She's the author of Faith Shift and also one of the co-curators of Faith Circus, another great podcast that you can take time to listen to. Tonight we're going to talk with her about Faith Shift, how this process came about in her life, um, what this process looks like for those of you that might be in your own Faith Shift, and then we'll also spend some time just talking about what this has looked like for those around the mic. So I'm here with um, six of my friends tonight. We have a big group, and so we're going to uh, hang out with Kathy and talk about the changes that take place in our faith. We're also tonight drinking beer from, from I always say this wrong, Ryan. That's okay. From Mantra. From Mantra. For, for you, as I said, from Mantra. Okay. Sorry, Brennan. Sorry, Spencer. From Mantra Brewing. And I'm drinking the Mandata, which is fantastic. So um, join us tonight, and I hope that this helps you in your own faith journey as you listen. So, Kathy, would you um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit of your story? Well, it's fun to be with you guys um, here around the table in Colorado. Well, I would just say that I never expected that I'd be here today. I, for many, many years, when I first became a Christian, kind of outside of my um, family, because my family was not Christian, um, I followed faith kind of on my own and had a big experience and kind of all the, for some people, typical way. You know, kind of turning my life over to Jesus, learning the rules, getting involved, going to church, looking at a screen, singing songs, you know, all those things, Um, that I did that for a chunk of time, and I was really good at it. I got a lot out of that experience because I came from a family that didn't have rules, didn't have boundaries, didn't have a lot of things. And um, so part of um, going all in on really evangelical Christianity, that was the stream that I was in, was really comforting. And I never imagined that I wouldn't do that forever. So, you know, I raised, I had my babies there and held them, walked them to church in their cute church clothes and went to Sunday school with my husband before. And, and how many children do you have? Five. Oh. There it is, people. She's the real. She's the real deal. <laughs> I know. I had my claim to fame is I had um, five kids under the age of seven. That's insane. Yes. And the other thing All-star. is that I had no drugs with any of them. I didn't mean to do that. That, oh. was a mis- that wasn't like <laughs> I was <went> in. <laughs> Just, yeah, kind of crazy. Uh, but <clears throat> one of the things that um, ended up happening to me, kind of in some ways early on when I started regularly going to church with my husband, um, he was in the military, and so we were in a pretty conservative military environment related to Christianity, um, is I started to kind of realize that there were lots and lots of things that I had stuffed down from my past that I didn't feel once I became a Christian I could be honest about. Mm. 
And so I kind of started to feel this split, and especially having children is a really vulnerable, hard thing. It's really humbling, and you're exhausted, and you're tired. My husband flew in the Navy, so he was gone a lot. I was by myself. And it's kind of like I had this opening to something inside, and I was in a group with um, some women. It, it was this little covert group at a Baptist church in San Diego that started talking about their real story. And it was the first time in church that I had been with people that actually said, I don't know if I feel God's love. I am really lonely. I'm really depressed. I want to have an affair. I'm having an affair. I was sexually abused. I had an abortion. You know, really big things that people were saying. And in the Bible studies I was in, no one ever talked about any of those things. Nope. Um, you, you know, things were focused on evangelizing your neighbor and making sure you shared the truth with them and, you know, what you thought about this Bible verse, things that were not of the heart. And so when I was in the group, I remember, because I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, and I remembered I could say that. And that was kind of the degree I could say. But then they kept opening up, and I could kind of feel something happen in me, like I was going to probably, like, break and tell my real story. And I just had a lot of hard things that had happened in my family, um, all related to drugs and alcohol and abortion and abuse and just really hard things that I just pushed down. And in my Christi- Christianity, I kind of did double down on pushing it down and putting on a good face on the outside. So I was really split. I had an inside and an outside. And when I started to tell the truth in that group, I could feel uh, something shift in faith a little bit, but I stayed in the system and then just kind of started getting more and more honest. And as I got more and more honest over many years, I kept feeling the push from churches. They were like, you're not allowed to talk that way. That's a little too honest. <laughs> That's a little too much. You know, when are you going to get back in the Word? That that group ended up getting kicked out of our church for not using the Bible enough. And then the reality was huge transformation happened in all of our lives in those three years. But it was scary to the church. Yeah. And so kind of on and on, you know, to present time is really over and over and over again I encounter the same thing. And finally, I ended up on a church staff. I wasn't planning on being a pastor. That was not my thing. Evangelical women are not pastors <laughs> on the whole. I had never seen one. And so I saw women's ministry directors, and I saw children's ministry, and I saw some women lead worship, but I never saw a female with the title pastor. And um, I had a friend that was on staff at a mega church, and he asked me to come be one, um, to be the care pastor at a big mega church. And the reality is I turned down the job. I had a bunch of kids, and it was too hard. But it kind of like I could feel that I wanted to do it. And the reason why I say this is because my husband and I were still in that evangelical circle where men are really above women. Mm-hmm. And there's a hierarchy. And even though my husband is amazing and we're really equal in lots of ways, I still had that mindset that I couldn't do something that I really wanted, that it was what my family needed me to do. And, uh, and the truth was I did have a lot of kids. So it was kind of crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> I turned the job down, and I was pissed off for a year because I felt it. I was like, I should have done that. But I... I had no one around me that did things like that. Yeah. That just kind of went for it. And the 
cool part, you know, and I would kind of put this in the God doing something category, the mystery, I guess, is that a year later, they called me back and offered it to me again. And my husband this time was like, I'm not going to be so dumb. And so because he really is an awesome teammate. However, when I went on church, big church staff, he also really struggled. We were so in that world. Wow. And we had a really hard time for that first year of of my working full time. But I also caught what it was like to, I was in recovery ministry. That was kind of a thing that I did. And I got to see more and more transformation. The long story is, the long story short is that I just hit huge power things 11 years ago, uh, where just was an upheaval in the church. You know, the lead pastor had a moral failure, power grab, crazy, crazy. And the exact same thing that I had experienced all those years about the messy people, the broken people, the marginalized people, the um, people that never kind of pulled it together, people were the ones that we needed to ignore and give power to the power. And to me, it just violated everything. And by then, I was a lot stronger. My husband and I kind of made it through our first year, and he really apologized to me. And that was when we really shifted to a true egalitarian, equal marriage, Mm -hmm. like true equal. Even though we were in lots of ways, we weren't all the way because of our messed up theology. And once that happened, then I got a new strength, and I actually just went crazy. And I just called out the power. I stood on tables, embarrassed myself. If you guys could see me, you, you'd laugh. <laughs> but I said all the things that everyone wanted to say. And they couldn't say because they needed to protect their jobs and their insurance. And, you know, you make good money on a megachurch staff. And so um, the, the fascinating thing about it is that over the years after I ended up losing my job, basically, for pushing against the system, they all lost their jobs, too. Wow. We were just the first to go. That was the beginning of everything falling apart. I was rumbly for a long time, and then I just kind of pushed away from the table and was like, I think this whole thing is just a crock of shit, and I've given so much time to it. I've given my guts and my blood and hours. I've sacrificed my family. I've worked late. I've, you know, done what I thought I was supposed to be doing. I played by all their rules. I was quiet when I needed to be. Like, I did all these things that really got me nothing. And so it really caused this deep, deep um, unraveling. And the unraveling just happened, and I just started questioning it all. I couldn't read the Bible. I couldn't. I didn't know what I thought about God. I didn't know what I thought about the church. And the weird part of this story, we planted the refuge two months after that. Like, ding-dongs. Um, <laughs> so you don't recommend that people to plant churches? Listen, off. I would not recommend that. But I will say that in some ways it was a really good thing because everything was kind of off the table for me personally. But yeah. I knew that I loved community and Jesus's heart for everything underneath power to be honest and that um, man couldn't control God so I knew that I kind of still had that Um, but even in the process of the first couple years you know I tried to kind of maybe go I maybe I'm just not a Christian maybe that's not me at all and you know for me 
I I never left all the way, but I've lost pretty much all those things that I held dear yeah. in terms of really core core doctrinal beliefs. I have so many I don't knows now. And so that's kind of a little bit how that all happened. And I just wrote about it on my blog, put all my guts out there, and there were a whole bunch of other people <laughs> in the same process. <laughs> so that's kind of how Faith Shift came about. Yeah. And, and I can definitely see for many of us around the table that we have gone through our, our in this process. And when you talk about leaving the mega church and it all crumbling, I know that that is, is something that my husband and I have felt over the years of just everything we thought we understood falling apart. I know Ryan has gone through that process as well. And um, so if you're out there and this resonates with you, you are not alone at all. You are a part of a long line of people right now that are going through this. And so I just want to take this second to say, get online, go to kathyescobar.com and start reading. And go on to Amazon and get Faith Shift and start reading. And then reach out to her or to us and start having a conversation. Because a lot of times when this happens, we're all alone. We're, we feel like we're the only person in our church going through this. And so let me just tell you right now that you can find community online and, and talk about this and process this. And we can point you to other resources as you start this journey. So... Please don't give up if you're there. This You will get through it. Um, and we all have gotten through it at some level or another. So the Kathy gives us a great list um, in our curriculum that we had for this about some things that, you, that might uh, be relatable to you and would tell you if you're in a faith shift. So I'll just read a few. For instance, I haven't picked up my Bible in a long time and I don't have any desire to. I have experienced a significant shift in my theology or faith perspective and find myself feeling disoriented and unsure. I feel sad, angry, afraid, and lost after a painful church experience. I have lost friends and significant relationships because of my shifting faith. I feel betrayed or abandoned by God. I sometimes wonder if God exists at all. I feel scared that if I share some of these doubts and concerns out loud, I will be judged, scripturized, or ostracized. When I'm around Christians, I have no desire to be like them or be associated with them anymore. Since leaving church, I feel so much better. And this is just part of the list, and there's more in the book. And if you resonate with those things, then you are listening to the right thing tonight. And so I encourage you to keep digging. So one of the things that Kathy has done in her work is kind of described for us what this process feels like. So I'm going to have her take a moment to just describe that to you. Um, and you can find a graph of this on her uh, website and in her book as well. But this, this description helps a lot of people figure out where they are. So we'll just talk about that for a few minutes. Well, and since, you know, a few, got, a few of you, we have it in front of you that are sitting around the table, like, since I'm talking, you're like, I think I say it different, you know, chime in here. Because a piece that I've been really, I was always hesitant on in writing this material is that um, I didn't want to make a formula. Nobody right. needs another formula. Right. <laughs> and so and so I was really hesitant. No five happy hops to the better Can't. you. <laughs> 
can't do it. And especially people who have had some kind of face shift, like, won't tolerate it at all. But there is something about language and identifying that part of our story. So I'll just quickly walk through them, but you could change the words. You can change the way that it looks. You can change whatever you want. Because the truth is, is that it's just kind of all part of the stream and it looks different for everybody. But I kind of start with fusing and this idea that all of us have some kind of fusing experience related to faith. And a big part of that is something about certainty and conformity and affiliation. Like, that's why I joined. I had a broken family. I was lonely. I wanted hope. I wanted forgiveness for things in my past. I, there, were all, there was all these reasons, and I got it. I got black and white, and I got to be part of a family, and I got to know the rules. And so we all have that in some way, shape, or form. Some people had it like they were born into it. I wasn't, but some people were. And fu- actually, fusing is where most people stay. And especially in certain streams. And so a lot of people I work with are somehow from a more fundamentalist, evangelical, conservative stream. I see some of this with people who are mainline um, denominations, but not as much. If they're a little bit more open and progressive and liberal, they just don't have as much fusing. Like, the fusing isn't as big of a deal. But, like, in word-based churches, which is what I was part of, like, it's a big deal what you believe. The doctrinal statements matter. And so uh, most people have some kind of, if they're honest, have some kind of shifting experience. That's kind of the next little squiggly line on the diagram. And that's just things get rumbly and you start sitting in church going, I don't know. This is kind of boring. I don't know if this is what Jesus meant. I don't know what I think about the words on the song, the Bible. Is it true all the way? Are there mistakes? You, know, you start to ask some questions. For me, it was, you know, why are there no women in leadership? That was a big one. Um, there was definitely a lot about how could this be the church of Jesus Christ who was focused on the, the lowest of the low, and everything is about the highest of the high. You know, that was a big thing in shifting for me. A lot of people do that and then just kind of go back to fusing. Because it's just safer. In the diagram, sometimes people will take a break from church or they'll like, and that's part of shifting. There's this little arrow that goes back and it's just returning. And that's just a stage where some people are like, I'm okay enough. I don't want to leave because of my kids. I also say inspiration addiction is kind of a big one. I mean, I have that. You guys maybe had that, some of you? Yeah. Like, it felt good yeah. to have that band and the wow and, like, a message. I was like, oh, my gosh, can you believe what he shared today? And, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things that really fill you up. And so missing that, I haven't had that now in 11 years. And, um, and I don't miss it anymore, but I really missed it in that first chunk of time. And so there's reasons to go back. Or you know what? I don't, it's just not worth it. <laughs> I, I, I've been going to this church. I know what to do. I know the people. I don't, you know. So that's returning. What happens to, and I think what's maybe happened to some of you, and definitely in most at this point, almost everybody that I intersect with, something happens where you can't manage it anymore. So shifting you can manage. It's in your control. In mine, I wasn't expecting to have a huge faith unraveling. I was halfway happy in my system. And so it was like an event that caused it. Or you just can't do it anymore. 
So you can't, your beliefs change, and you can't hold into a church that doesn't offer full equality for all people, that discriminates against people getting married that are your brothers and your sisters and your kids and, you know, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Like something happens, and you're just like, I can't do it anymore. When that happens, it's a stage of unraveling, and that is just a free fall down. (laughs) That's when everyone says, are you slipping off the slope? You know, that's what unraveling is, and unraveling is just a big hot mess of loss. And um, kind of, but the values in there are really good values because there's a value of authenticity and uncertainty and autonomy. So it's like separating from some of that, like... You can't tell me what to do anymore because I did what you told me to do and I didn't feel that free. Yeah. And so unraveling is a, a downward process. And, I, you know, it's what I always say is that when you lose beliefs, guaranteed, you will then lose structures mm-hmm. because structures are built on beliefs. Yeah. Whether it be a church or a ministry or an organization, then when you lose structures, you lose people. So you lose relationships. Oh, my gosh. When I left that big church, I knew a lot of people mm. that I never saw again. I never talked to again. No one called. Not one person from that church staff asked about my husband or my children. Mm-hmm. I had five children that went a lot there. And no one cared. because, mm. And I thought they did. And so when you lose that, that is a really bizarre um, betrayal and loneliness Mm -hmm. and then when you lose all the three of those things then a lot of us lose our identity a lot of my identity was in being a good christian woman i was pretty good until those last that last year really um on big church and then i was bad (laughs) so the truth is is that when you lose your identity it's really disorienting and so, you know, you lose everything that was safe and secure, and you lose your you lose your tribe, you lose belonging. And so at the bottom of it, and unraveling looks different for every person, so I just say it's usually super long. I'm still unraveling. Um, the election did that a little bit for me. It hit me in a new place, um, and I'm grateful for it. I think unraveling is a really a beautiful, wonderful thing because you shed all the stuff that worked in the past. It's not that that stuff in the past was bad. It helped me. It saved me. But it was not leading me towards freedom. At the bottom of unraveling, I have a stage. It's in the book. It's called Severing. Some of you guys might relate to this, where you just really walk away. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's just what happens. And, you know, that's kind of room for atheism, agnosticism, and then definitely getting out of abusive systems where you just truly have to. If you are in a spiritually abusive church, I always tell people, you have to sever, you have to lose it all in order to mm-hmm. ever have a chance of rebuilding something. Because if you try that, those threads are so deep. It just doesn't work. So severing, you know, I've gotten a lot of push in the book over time. Anybody who's pretty conservative, um really struggles with that because it's like how could you open the door for people to sever from God and lead them there and I'm like I'm not leading them there I'm just telling you what happens to people (laughs) and it happens to people and actually everyone's attempt to pull it back makes it worse Mm. and my gut on that is people find their way I have pretty big view of God and so it's just kind of that's what people need to do and um, sometimes it's the best thing it can do. Out of, this is the last stage, out of unraveling or out of severing, people do sometimes go, I want to rebuild something. 
And uh, you could probably use different words. I'm not sure I would use that word again. This is, you know, I wrote this a while ago. I'm not sure what I would use exactly because rebuilding is some would something you, about going back. Would you say evolve? Um, it, it used to say it used to say mm-hmm. faith evolution was one of the things yeah. that got tossed around, but you know people are so flipped out over evolution. But it might yeah. be evolving. Yeah, like um, it's, it's still an extension of self. Creating something new, imagining. I don't know, but um, but it, but rebuilding's okay because yeah. it's kind of trying to put something forward, and in rebuilding. Everyone's different on that, and it's a really tender place. And so this is where, like, thinking about um, getting involved in a community again is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't know if I can, or maybe finding community in a totally non-traditional setting. Um, a little piece of um, rebuilding. Well, the values in rebuilding are freedom, mystery, and diversity. That's, like, what we start to seek. We don't need some of those other things anymore in the same way, but that. Oh, freedom, and that's like the biggest deal to me. Diversity, like I'm just done with mm-hmm. homogeneous groups, you know, all those kinds of things. And then definitely mystery, like I don't know is my favorite phrase. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I do. I am still a community person. It's why I pastor a community because I like people and I think we heal through people. I yeah. think it's hard to get something in your um, room by yourself that you need about who you are as a person. Um, So a little bit of rebuilding is, you know, finding things that um, might still be, like I always say, find what remains. And usually there's a couple truths, maybe about God or the world, that still sustain you. Celebrating the past, which is kind of hard sometimes, but it has been good for me. There was good back there. There was good back there. And then um, things like finding what works, passion, you know, this is for you guys. This is a piece. Like it's passion to have these conversations and to be together. Yeah. That's finding what works. Yeah. You know, and not being ashamed of that. Not going, oh, that's not spiritual because it doesn't involve the things that you used to do. So that's kind of, you know, a little bit of the overall, but that most people I know are either they're pretty done with shifting in some kind of free fall, severing. Rebuilding. Rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those three okay. seem to be the most. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I, I would say that I can't speak for everybody that comes to the pub on a weekly basis because people come and go and some stay. But for the most part, when I, I read your book and I, I thought to myself, this speaks to my story. And then there's always a lot of me too's. And so every time we go around the circle and we say, my name is Ryan and I grew up this and you wait for it. But not many, maybe two or three people, and I can maybe I can I can't even count past two have are still where they once were, you know, whether it's Baptist or Catholic. Now most of our people did grow up religious to a degree. Every now and then you will you'll get like the I grew up atheist, and then I'm like that's weird. It's like why are you here? But most of our atheist or agnostic people grew up Protestant, Evangelical, or Catholic. Uh, so you know, having said all that. Um, this resonated with me and, um, and many of our people at the pub. Now, uh, I want to talk about severing, and I don't know if you if if you're comfortable with this, you can you know we can edit this later, Dan. You can edit this later. But uh, when it comes to the severing part, a lot of this reminds me of the conversations that Janelle and Dan and I had at, at theology beer camp with Barry Taylor. And Barry Taylor speaks about radical theology. Pete Rollins does it. Kester Bruin does it as well. And this, it's a death, death of God. And so when people hear death of God, they get scared. 
but really we all have a death of God. Uh, it's just you know people just don't like the word death of God, but we we do. So there there was a death of God in your in your world. What were the things that you had to shed like your theology of who God is, who God was, in order for you to rebuild this or evolve whatever word you use this new version of God? And what aspects of that death of God um, severing were nearly impossible for you to shed? If if you're okay sharing that. Um, yeah, well, and I never severed all the way. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I thought about it and I imagined it and I tried to kind of, but I will say that kind of through that whole process, I, I'm still a Jesus person. And so now what that means, and if someone mm-hmm. pins me on a lot of doctrinal things, I can't, you know, I can't yeah. check all the boxes. Um, but that's, and that is kind of where I never went all the way. Like I didn't do what a lot of people I know do. I mean, they're really done yeah. believing in God, yeah. and and they're not really just exploring it as part of their theological. I don't know, unwinding. Like for at least for that this season, there really came away. Um, for me, a big piece I had to get rid of is so much if then theology, because in evangelicalism, if then is a huge thing. If I do this, then this happens. Mm-hmm. If I believe this, then you get this. If you hold on to this, then you're protected. If, you know, there's a long list of kind of things that if you do this, then this happens. And it's still in me today, like as much as I know that's not true, that that was the interpretation or the lens from my evangelical background, it is weird that if I'm in a really bad situation, it comes back, (laughs) that there must be something I'm doing that's wrong. And so I know that now I can, like, let go of it, but it's weird how it comes back, mm-hmm. you know, because think about it, how many times you heard God's teaching you something, you know, something is, uh, uh, must be happening that you needed to know. And so for me, some of those bigger things, definitely, you know, just a male image of God, like everything being super patriarchal. So that's a core thing. When the Bible is only interpret- interpreted in that lens, yeah. Like, you see everything that way. I still really struggle with Paul. I mean, I can read it with a little better something, but it's so hard to shake how that was interpreted. Mm-hmm. Kind of with shame. Yep. It just touches shame. And I know that I do not think the Apostle Paul meant that, but that's always how it was taught. And so, you know, kind of... That's, a, that's kind of a more personal, maybe, just on ways that I related. You know, I don't think, I think a piece of the death of God is that when you believe you were held that the Bible had no mistakes, is the only, you know, is the only thing that you can kind of find God through. I don't believe that anymore. And that puts you in a totally different stream yeah. because that's like a big deal when you come from a stream that elevates the Bible to like this most supreme place. And so just walking away from that belief leaves you in a really weird place yeah. because there is a little bit of how to um, interpret that lens. Now, I do remember, because I've done a few things um, and been in a few conversations with Peter Rollins, and I really appreciate everything that he talks about. This is a really important thing I just want to add in, is that the group that I've always been in relationship with and worked with and done anything with are really on the margins of the margins. Mm -hmm. And 
some of that doesn't work all the way. Yeah. I'm not going to say that some of these things are privileged all the way because I know people who um, who have all those questions. But there's something about when you're really desperate, you do need God. Yeah. And that's the only thing. It's like there's something you need, that container, and it's not bad. It doesn't come from all these negative things. So sometimes there's like two tracks on the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kind yeah. of more place of privilege or education or theological <clears throat> know-how or something. And then there's just true desperation. Mm-hmm. And actually desperate people don't need to know all the shit we were supposed to know. They just know that you need help and that you can't do this alone. You know, this is why yeah. in the 12 steps of alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous is so important. You like, you, you kind of like, I can't do it mm-hmm. anymore. So that's a teeny bit of why there's a piece for me that I probably didn't shed or, I mean, I definitely did not all the ways ever um, at all. And I stayed in community, too. But my community is really honest and raw. Like, I've never had to hold back. I've never had to, like, pretend I knew something or pretend that I wasn't struggling or something like that. I know it's been kind of disorienting for some people. But when you align on your shared pain and your real story, you kind of don't need the other stuff. And so that is kind of where our um, community has lasted so long in this way is because people aren't talking theory mm. about God. Yeah, mm. right. Mm. They're kind of just sharing their yeah. real story. And I think that's helpful because when, when we were talking about, like, in Janelle, you, you remember this, this, this uh, cerebral kind of concept of post-truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I have talked about how sometimes theology can become so academic, whereas... In, in this world of like, oh, the, the, this church that you're with, that you've built, that you're a part of, like, this is messy and raw, and it's, this is the human stuff. I go, and that's probably why I, I read this going, no, this, this stuff, this matters, you know, and, and because you're not, you're not dismissing, well, you can't dismiss people. You can dismiss thoughts, you know, I mean, no, no one's, no one's their thoughts or their opinions, but when someone says, this is how I feel, this is where I'm at. Um, and, and you, and then you embody that as a, as a pastor and as a friend, that's beautiful. And I think sometimes we forget about that because we make it about concepts and different philosophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for modeling that too. Cause it's, it's evident in your book and in your work. So thank you. Well, the thing is, is that it's, it's actually troubled me in another weird way because when you lose all the, you know, I was in recovery ministry in kind of a more certain system. And now when I read back on kind of some of those things, like there was a, so much of if you do this, then this happens. And it really did help some people. And so when you lose that container a little bit, that's been a little tricky. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so many people that I know struggle with believing that God cares and believing in that they're worth anything. You know, a lot of people I know have just basically have no sense of being loved and they weren't loved properly. And then if they gave themselves to churches, they weren't loved there and they've just been betrayed over and over and over again and abuse, you know, really jacks you up. And so when you have that wound in there, it's really hard to believe the God things. And then that's why I kind of come back to community because you can't help someone think into that you can only love them yes Mm -hmm. and so much happens in building equality 
And so equality means, you know, it's together. My hands are kind of next to each other versus over or under. And pretty much the whole world operates in over and under. And most every church operates in over and under. And, you know, to me, the most healing thing is happens when two human beings are just equal. And usually um, if we've had any kind of abuse, neglect, mental illness, addiction, struggle that didn't allow us to come and show up as an equal, you just never, you never um, are whole. And and churches kind of have a vested interest in keeping people not whole. Mm. Wow. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that's like the, the return part, right? Like those structures, like, as, as part of doing that, like keeping people there. Yeah. Yeah, keep them coming back. We always yeah. say, you yeah, just have a touch yeah. of shame. Right? Yeah. <laughs> just enough shame to feel bad that week mm-hmm. that you need to come back to empty. Yeah. Empty. Like, I'm empty. I need to get filled up. And I'm not seeing that there's not a value in coming together, but kind of that thing. Right. And that's and that's that structure, too, right? Where, like, it's, it's this power person that will fill you up, right? Like, that will give this to you what you need. And that keeps that like that, and that's tendency. exhausting yeah. on both ends, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. It is. Yep. It is. For the one trying to replicate and reproduce this consistent mega model of glory, and to make sure you know, and then to go back every time I feel like you need that. That's so exhausting. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? Earlier, you talked about how when you were in this women's group. Um, there were certain things that you like before that. You, there were certain things you were able to say, and there were certain things you had to kind of suppress and keep in. Um, and from my experience within the kind of the evangelical fundamentalist world, um, the only type of struggle that we can really talk about, or we're allowed to talk about, was the struggle that happened in our past mm-hmm. and how we kind of overcome that, right? And so it's it's our like uh, come to Jesus story, sort mm-hmm. of, and and. Can, can you speak to the ways in which differs from the kind of embracing of the things that we're struggling with right in this moment? Uh, I mean, I think it, in some ways it's a bit obvious, right? But, like, can you speak a little bit more to that? Because I think as someone who has been in that position, um, I would, if I could have gone back, I would love to have heard someone speak about how that matters, why, why we should talk about what's happening in our lives right now and should be struggling with that in a community um, rather than just focusing on the things that we we had previously encountered and now we've come to Jesus and we're kind of maintaining this understanding of like, we're, we're great now, we're good, we've got Jesus, all this stuff that I'm struggling with doesn't really matter. I, sh- I don't have to bring this up now. So. Right. Well, it makes me think that a huge piece is how hard it is to sit with pain. And so we all feel it. I feel it. I want to fix people's pain. You know, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, codependent, two on the Enneagram, you know, that <laughs> wanting to make things better. And so I think that basic thing is a big reason why we don't stay current. Because if we say the real thing, other people around us will want to try and make it better. And so we don't know, we don't practice what you do in any 12-step meeting where you just say, thanks for sharing, and move to the next person. Yeah. We go, 
have you tried this? Or, oh, that's so hard. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be doing this for you. Like, we just, we have a natural thing to not let it sit. And so that that part is a lot on our own anxiety. And plus, it's really hard to share our real story, our current story. And so, because you sit with most people, I mean, I do this all the time still. I've been in healing groups for 23 years now. And when I um, leave, I go, man, why did I share that? Why did I say that? And even though I don't always do this, but it comes because I don't want to be that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that is a huge thing. That's why Brene Brown, you know, a lot of people have read a lot of her things. She has really helped with a lot of spiritual transformation, even mm-hmm. though it's kind of a quote-unquote mm-hmm. secular book, because there is something about that level of vulnerability. And I think we just got hung up on Jesus took away our pain if you do it right. Mm-hmm. And that that's just not true. And so that's not helpful. You know, this is that thing about grief. I mean, we are t- in the West, we're terrible about grief. In evangelical Christianity, we're the worst about grief. And um, and that's true in other streams, too. I, I'm not picking all, all the way on them. I'm just saying where I came from. Yeah. It really was like, you need to be grateful that person's dead. You know, they're with Jesus. And you need to move on. Put your hope there. You know, all those kinds of things mm-hmm. where, you know, other cultures, you, like, grieve for a year. You were black for a year. You, you know, do all kinds of things to honor that loss. And so I'll just use that as an example. But... You know, a real struggle, like a current struggle, an addiction, a sexual addiction, a current affair, thinking about an affair, actually saying, I don't know what I think about God. Like those things in not a safe setting in church are like a recipe to just not, um, to, to shut down and retreat and go, I ain't ever doing that again. Almost everybody has a story about that. Mm-hmm. They go, I ain't ever doing that again. And I think it's because we are really afraid of pain. And we weren't taught that thing. And we really weren't taught that much about, I mean, I wasn't. I wanted to learn some skills. I did not learn, like, practical relationship skills in church. No. And I went to a lot of groups. Mm. I went to a lot of Bible studies. I did a lot of Sunday school. And I knew a lot about the Bible. And I didn't know how to show up and say what I needed or what I was feeling. Like most of us, like this is like kind of 101 unraveling when you're trying to kind of like find your way. What are you even feeling? And here we all grew up in churches and systems that we were like about our transformation and people can't say what they're even feeling <laughs> because we weren't taught that basic skill. Yeah. Because most negative feelings were seen as bad. Or sinful. Yes, for sure. I mean, yeah, they're not just bad feelings. They're evil. <sighs> That's right. So, like, you better get away from them as fast as you can yeah. because they're going to destroy you. That's right. And that totally shuts off transformation. Yeah. And that basic thing, I think, you know, this is why, I mean, I have a core theology that is, you know, troublesome to a lot of evangelicals. And, I mean, I believe in original blessing and goodness in us. And, you know, I don't believe in total depravity. I used to. That was a piece of a big one. So you're a Pelagian. You're not a, yeah, you're not Augustinian, right? It's just... And so, and to me, that just shouldn't be that, con- 
Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's funny how that that is a big deal. And now, I guess because of the different tribes in which you associate with, now I'm like, yeah, that, that's not a big deal. But back in the day, that what you just said. We would crucify you. Yeah. Oh, it's a big deal. Yeah. I lost a friend over it, like my best yeah. friend. This is years ago. She was there at the birth of my first three kids in the Navy, oh. and this is what this is what she left me over. This is way before original, I was a Original sin yeah. versus blessing. Yeah, hers was Depravity. total depravity. Yeah. There's nothing good in you, and I was like, I know, but the, there is. There's something good. Yeah, even in that, (laughs) (laughs) and there was this sense of somehow that being dangerous to her. And a really interesting part of the story is that you know, I was like, I have tons of friends. I have friends who aren't Christians. I have friends who believe different things that are all different shapes and forms. Because we were in the Navy, you have it's very diverse, and. I'm friends with all them. Like, they believe different things. It's not that hard. And for her, she was nervous that I would lead her down. Yep. I'm a strong person. Mm-hmm. I would lead her down a bad path. Uh, so your, your, your thought, your opinion, <laughs> threatened her identity. Yeah. Our, our identity is wrapped up in our thoughts and in some circles. Yeah. That's, wow. Sad. Right. It is sad. Right. <laughs> if it breaks the relationship, it's very sad. It's super sad. And I tried for a long time. And then finally, I mean, a big piece of my healing is to not be codependent and take care of everybody. Yeah. And adjust all the time. So, and so. Yeah, so talk, talk about that. How do you how do you deal with, um, what, would you, what would you call them, the, the heel grabbers of, of the world that want to bring you down because they think you're bringing them down? And, like, you don't get into that shit anymore. Is someone, whether they do it publicly in a forum or private messages you, it, you just, how do you dust your feet? <laughs> There's the Christian wording. I, um, I, I'm not, I am human. Um, so I have feelings. I like to have everyone like me, you know, all those things. So, I mean, I'm getting stronger and stronger, but it's hard for me. And I have had some close relationships. You know, that was a long time ago with her, years and years ago. I mean, if she knew what I was like now, I sometimes wonder, you know, if she <laughs> looks me up and seems really like, strong. oh, she really did. <laughs> <laughs> Got out early. But, um, the truth is, is that um, I have that. I have people that think that I'm heretical and leading people in a bad path um, that pick apart the book and those kinds of things. And I, I know them. They're not, you know, they're not in my inner, inner, inner circle because that's not safe enough. But I, and I get, you know, I get some nasty people on my blog that write nasty things. And um, I, it depends on the day. Yeah. It depends on the day. It always hurts. The random people don't really hurt. They're just weird. <laughs> Closer hurts. <laughs> yeah. Hurts. That's been a piece of this material because if you have not experienced a face shift and an unraveling, you don't know the feeling. Mm-hmm. And so, and I know people that really haven't, they kind of did, but they returned. And they went, you know, they're kind of doubling down on, I got to stick with this. And so they think... We kind of have got off the edge, and they think that I'm leading them there, and they don't understand that if you, that the one of the best things is to have a safe place to talk about it, mm-hmm. to be honest about it, to have kindreds, to not yeah. feel crazy and alone, and that that's your best shot at maybe having some kind of renewed faith or some kind of thing that some faith comes back to life. So it really kind of pisses me off, to be honest. It feels really unfair. 
because it's kind of, you're not doing it my way. So kind of what you said, I'm not comfortable with your pain. I want you to be fixed. I want you to come back to the quote unquote truth. Mm -hmm. I want you to believe what you used to believe. And so um, it's not very helpful for people when you're just telling your true feelings. Well, and it's, I think what the one thing they can't experience is that we can't go back. Once you unravel, you you can't go back. It's not that I don't want to come near you. It's not that I don't want to have that similarity. I can't go back. Yeah, yeah I, can't, I can't remake the thing that let me believe those things. It's gone now. Yeah. It broke. And there just seems to be a real lack of understanding that that's what we experience. And why, why is that diversity yeah. such a threat? To like those core faith groups like that. I just I I think I mean I I can't I can't suppose it all the way, but this is what some have told me is just that you know you can't you don't get to pick and choose you don't get to go with your own interpretation mm. you know you can't make God in your own image you know some things like that. So to them, when you have a narrow interpretation of what the good news is or what the gospel is or what the Bible is and its authority, it's kind of like the freedom or the mystery and the diversity feels wrong. Yeah. And so I just think it's it is threatening. And it's I you know, I'll say I think it kind of threatens them a little bit mm-hmm. because there is a little bit, well wait a second. You know, I need to have something that I'm clinging to mm. instead of honoring. This is my thing. I don't mind that someone still believes all those things. Mm. That's totally fine. I understand. I respect that and honor that. And so it's kind of like, I have room for you, but you don't have room mm-hmm. for me. Yes. And I think that's a big one. And so the tent isn't big enough. It's so, only big one way. Yeah. So we've, we've talked about this before when we had coffee. How, how do you lead side by side with people in an egalitarian setting when you have very different views? One person has to give more than the other. And I remember you saying that. And that was... And I've used that before because people have asked me this this third way, whatever whatever issue it may be. There's always a third way according to Jesus. Yeah, this is really hard because we have had you know we've always been a co-pastoring um, structure at the refuge, so we've never had just one person on the top, and just this has been a totally different model. And um, my friend who I planted with, we share a lot of common dreams about church and all kinds of things, but theologically. You know, I I just unraveled a lot, and he didn't. And so um, holding that tension together has been really hard. Um, and I think the only way you can do it is to keep talking about it, and you you have to you have to keep the tent big enough. So if the tent's yeah. big enough, there's room for everything. But if the tent closes up, and in, so in some ways you have to create the widest net possible, mm-hmm. and then everything can belong in there. But if you narrow that by beliefs, if yeah. shared beliefs is what gathers you, then the refuge wouldn't exist. Yeah. If we we cannot, we would not be able to gather around shared beliefs. But we are we do gather around shared values, and that helps a ton. Okay. But Kathy, don't you want people to go through this this shift? Are you are you personally comfortable like people staying in the fusing stage? Well, I used to be really annoyed with them in like a huge way, but sometimes I don't wish this on people mm. in another way mm-hmm. because it's hard. It's hard. 
<laughs> and so I, but then sometimes I'm like, come on, come on, give it up. Don't hold on to it. Can't you see it is not helping you in the freedom department. And so, push it down, way down in there. <laughs> so it's a, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. And so, and you can't, that's one thing. This is, this is why I think it's the spirit of God kind of moving because you can't make it happen for somebody. <laughs> They've got to have it happen. And I would like, I mean, looking back, my story was my story. It was really messy. I, there were a lot of mistakes that I made along the way. And I don't really, in some ways, regret them because they were just part of the story. But um, there's, pro- and that might be why a reason I did the material and try and kind of help people navigate it. My friend Phyllis and I, she's a therapist. We do this walking wounded course for people hurt by the church. It's different than fascia. It's really like people who had weird experiences like we did. And um, but one of the things about it is, is that there are ways to get through better. There are ways to get through better. And it's easier now, even in the year 2017, than the book came out in 2014. And so, like, a lot more people are in this club now. Yeah. And so it helps. It's not quite so lonely. And I felt that at the Brew Theology Night. I was like, there's a lot of people in the room that are in different ways resonating. And so, like, it's a common language Mm -hmm. now. And so um, that's helpful. But, no, I have a hard time with people who are stuck in the system. I don't mind if they're doing it and they're happy. I mind when they come after me Hmm. and try and get me to come back. Because I'm with you, Janelle, 100%. I'm not going back. I did it. So that's the difference on the give. Because, you know, on any conversation on the third way, you have to kind of both give something. You have to... But I can't give on embracing something that I truly do not believe anymore. So I'm actually not open to getting that back because I used to believe it. Right. And so, which is different than somebody who's never shut it before. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so this one's really tricky. So take LGBTQ equality. I'm not going back. I am not going back. Yep. You're not going to talk me into a Bible verse on it. And so it's really hard because then I'm perceived as closed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not closed to talking, but I am not going. You can try, but you can't say that I'm not compromising just because I'm not willing to go back on that one after I've tasted and seen what the kingdom can look at, look like. And I have room to hold your belief. It's different from mine, but you gotta hold. You gotta let me have mine, and that one's tricky. Justice things make this hard. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's because that, because those are personal issues versus. I mean, people say this issue. No, those are people. So it's kind of like um, complementarian issues and egalitarian issues, and, to, and that might sound strange for people. But so uh, the patriarchal male over female right. versus no, we're all equal. Or, you know, the LGBT same-sex marriage versus the, no, 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 conventional marriage. But I, I mean, in in some ways, like you, because somebody has said, I won't mention which person who said this years ago, and they go, you can't have a third way with these social justice issues because they're personal. They're not issues. I go, oh, well, and I, and I denied it for the longest time. And I, I may be in agreement now because you have, because if you don't, if you deny this issue, you're denying a person. Yeah, and then that I person think it has changed. Then that person doesn't belong. Yeah. I think the third way, this is what I think, because I've had a shift on the third way too. 
because we had um, we bumped into this at the refuge because we've always had LGBTQ friends part of the refuge from the beginning. But Carl and I see this different. You know, it wasn't a thing too. Same sex marriage wasn't a thing in the same way that it is now. So eleven years ago, it's not that that didn't happen, but it was different. Yeah, people didn't and talk about it. No, much. and it wasn't in legislation. I mean, there were some things that were just different, and so. Um, when we bumped up against it is when my friends asked me to marry them. And so, you know, and I did. And so it it created this conversation. And the good part about it is it created a conversation. um, And we we made our third way was that anybody in our community could marry or not marry or, you know, bless or not bless or agree or not agree. But we would hold that intention. But there was one little small thing about our space. And um, we'd have weird space. It's kind of a long story. I don't really want to spend a ton of time on it. But it was kind of like an easy way to do the third way in a way because no one gets married there. Uh-huh. And so, because it was a weird building. But what I didn't realize until a few years later, we have a different facility. Times have changed. And I couldn't live with that anymore. I couldn't live with that, that some of our kids that have grown up in our community couldn't get married in the church that they, you know, is their church. And some of them, they come once a month to their group. You know, I mean, it mm-hmm. was like a big deal. And that was where Carl and I bumped. That was who I co-pastored with, bumped into that. And so I'm starting to think, that. so the third way our community processed through it, it wasn't, it was painful between us. But in terms of our community, we were always like that. We were always inclusive, and so it kind of was a little mind-bender about the underneath thing. But what I, our third way is that you can hold a different belief, but we have the whitest tent possible. Right. I think that's the new third way. I was talking to our friend Brandon Robertson about this because I think that that's the new third way for me. I, we've kind of practiced it pretty solid but it expanded, which I think you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it isn't. You can't believe that. You can still hold that view. But you can't block. And it's painful. It's pa- it's actually really painful. So it hasn't been. The, it's yeah. been a little bumpy. But I think that in general in other churches, we're seeing it in some local churches here in Denver that yeah. are really, um, they are trying to practice a third. That is actually the third way. Because all their pastors and elders and members don't have to agree. But everybody yeah. has equal but access. I, and, but I and I and I still I think it's it's a probably a good transitionary period, and I know which church you're talking about. And like your church and other churches, eventually the people who still hold to the conventional way, and I know we're talking about one issue, but you could this could be a million issues. They will leave. Yeah, don't you think? That'll be the test. I yeah. think times have changed a little bit. Yeah. Even in the last couple of years, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm hoping, I think the world's changing, and I think some people are going to stay around that, it, you know, in our setting so different, because we're so untraditional, and we mm-hmm. do it so differently, but, so it's hard to compare exactly, but I really think that, and in our situation, no one, everyone's still there, Every, no one changed, we're all still there, everyone was there then, it's still there, but one of the things about um, this bigger church is that I think people are, their minds are expanding and their hearts are opening and they know more friends now. Like something, there will always be the people that'll leave. Mm-hmm. But I, mm-hmm. I kind of think they're going to be open because the thing isn't LGBTQT, it's actually biblical interpretation. That's the thing underneath it. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, I think some will. So time will tell. Yeah. But my heart so is. So it, it's, it it's almost like the family member who they'll go to the wedding, but they won't perform the ceremony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that is that? I mean, that's that's kind of an example that I think of. I think of people who no, I'm not going at all to your wedding. And then they just kind of they sever that relationship. Or those who say, you know what, I don't believe in this particular wedding, but I'm still going to show up even though I don't believe that this is of whatever they think the version of truth and God is. Yeah. And may, you know, maybe you're right. I'd like to believe you're right. I could be so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping I'm right. I still, I still think that people, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm getting cynical, yeah. but I don't know. <laughs> I think at the same time, you see traditions that have been able to largely hold that. Um, my in-law's family was at a Presbyterian church, and... They had been there for a number of years, and nothing had really been against the the theology that they brought with them from another tradition. And then they had an interim pastor came in, and I think he thought his, his job description in life, and it may have been his job description in life, was to present every contrary theological position that was possible and use it as a way to ruffle the congregations up as they were in in transition between ministers. And both ministers were perfectly in line with where the church held. You can create a wider space or you can create a very narrow space, and it, it, it depends on how people understand what it means to be part of this tradition. If you hold this tradition as you believe this set of things and we have a doctrinal statement on every social issue and we have a doctrinal statement on X, Y, and Z and and this is how you're going to live your life, you get one outcome. And if you have a space that has been created around the concept of as long as you're in this general bucket, we'll be happy with you. Um... So, I don't know. I hope. Mm-hmm. I hope for your sake, I hope for all of our sakes, that we're able to find communities that are able to have wider spaces. Um, because otherwise we're going to have a lot of isolated people. Yeah. And that's the part. I mean, the longing for connection is so deep. But, you know, I'll just always go to, in my opinion, you always, 100% of the time, have to defer to the margins. It's just that simple for me. And some people, it's not that clean. Well, that's, I mean, like, that's the hill I will die on. Mm-hmm. And um, because most places don't. Mm. And so that's, it, it, and so I think, but the longing for community, and I, again, I don't want to get on the topic of that particular issue, but I want to point to it on this because I think what's changing in Christianity is that they're just, people aren't going to tolerate it. They're not going to tolerate it. And so actually... If that is this deal breaker or something, I'm just moving on. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not even. My kids wouldn't even blink. You know, my I have three in their twenties and two teenagers. Like it's a. It's such a no way. I will not be associated with something that doesn't offer free full equality to everybody. Yeah. And it's just kind of that simple. So I think that that part, I know there's still a lot of people who don't believe that. There's still yeah. a push. There's still a lot of rigidity. Mm-hmm. But the world is changing, and it's right, just going right. to be a weird transition. 
Yeah, I know we've talked specifically about our Christian heritage around this circle and specifically evangelical to what some would call post-evangelical, but a lot of the people that meet with us on a weekly basis are interfaith, non-faith, interreligious, non-religious, and we're, we're, we realize that we're really living in a pluralistic world, so I think even regardless of, I know we've used a lot of Christian language, but ultimately you, you're speaking about a... Um, this, this personal experience of the people on the margins. And I think that from, at least from what we want to do and what we hope to do, beyond even Denver, is, is to say if we have any any rule at all, it's just don't be an asshole. You know? <laughs> it's not that complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and this, this is Jesus-y, but to love your neighbor as yourself, I think everybody could could hopefully agree on that. Love your neighbor as yourself, you know? I don't care what you believe about God or non-gods or whatever, many, many, many gods, <laughs> male or female gods, but, but to love your neighbor. I mean, and then maybe we can do this, this, this yeah. thing called life and community. But Well, and all we say about that passage, like the part that we always miss is it says, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah. And that that's probably the biggest problem in the world. You don't love yourself. Across every faith, <laughs> across humanity, is that... Most people don't wake up feeling that, yeah. and for all different reasons. And this crosses culture; it crosses so many things. Yeah. And so, that maybe that's where we could spend a little more energy, is in trying to strengthen. You know, that's why these. That's why healing community is so important. That brokenness out of isolation, no matter what you're talking about, yeah. it's better than it. It does heal and do something. Um, and that so much of the hate, the fear that you were talking about, the fear comes from not being secure. Yeah. Ultimately, the more secure you are, the less you're trying to change somebody else because you're not threatened. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's that part of where all the work could keep going is just helping people really grow in agency. And, you know, I would say in feeling loved by God and people and yeah. in loving others um and that that's a trick that's probably the hardest work that everyone has to do and it's a lot easier to talk about other things absolutely well i think we could all say we could sit here and listen to you talk about this for hours because you give us hope for a brighter future so we want to say cheers from janelle shane nathan ryan kyle Baird. thank you so much for coming and joining us and we wish you all the best everyone cheers for joining